0: Why is it so hard for people, for us, for you, for me, to stand firm for Jesus, right? Like people who know the truth, who have walked with Jesus, just drift away. Or people like you and me who want to please Jesus, but find temptation so hard to resist and so hard to battle at times. Or people who grow up in the church and were raised in really a loving, wise, godly Christian family and then just walk away from it all, why is it so hard to stand firm for Jesus? there, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life Podcast. Thanks for joining me here on the show. On this podcast, we like to give what I call Blue Jeans Theology. That is theology for ordinary life in everyday dress, theology that's rooted in where we live each and every day so that we can experience the Bible as a source of life. And if you're new to the show, I want to extend a special welcome to you, Thanks for being here. I pray that it's helpful to you as you seek to follow Jesus and walk with God. Hey, one announcement before we jump into the topic of today's show, and that's this. On January 14th of this upcoming year, I'm going to be launching an online discipleship community built around my core courses with a a kind of a Facebook group, some Zoom lives, and a community to help you really learn how to follow Jesus, put your roots down deeper into His Word, and become like Him from the inside out. That's coming January 14th, so be keeping an eye on that. The best way to Uh, get updates on that and learn information about that is to be on my email list. So if you haven't gone over to Johnwicker.net, signed up for my email list. I've got uh, a free mini course there right now and some things, uh, other resources on that website you can check out. But that's the best way to get updates for this online discipleship community. Swing over to Johnwicker.net and sign up for my email list. All right, let's jump into the topic of today's show. And as I set it up in the intro, that revolves around this question of why is it so challenging to stand firm for Jesus and what can we do about that? And this is really uh, critical to us as followers of Jesus. We want to be faithful, right? We want to live for him in this world. We recognize it's challenging at times. So what can we do to help us be faithful to Jesus. And what we're going to look at today gives us one of the key reasons for that and what we should do about that. I I think the Bible really has three main reasons why being faithful to God in this world is difficult. Those Those reasons revolve around things like just the fallen culture around us. Uh, Paul tells us that sin gets into our body and really becomes just something that's almost kind of default reactions, and that has to be kind of retrained. And then there's a third reason, and it's that third reason I want to look at in this podcast. That third reason has to do with the nature of the world that we live in at the present time. A couple weeks ago, my daughter-in-law was uh, had a doctor's appointment and. I was the one that was available to get to watch my granddaughter, so it became uh, Grandpa and Violet time. And I got to watch little Violet for an hour, hour and a half. And Violet loves to go to the playground. And so she'll be two here in just a couple weeks. And so Violet and I, I put her in the stroller. We took a little walk down to the neighborhood park not far from my house. And uh, they have some swings and slide and stuff, to, you know, just a playground, kids' playground. And Violet was super excited even though she's not quite two years old, she's like a playground phenom, right? Like she's a beast on the playground. There were some bigger kids playing on the playground. They kind of avoided little Violet and she went and she climbed up the stairs to the slide and slid down the slide and thought it was great. And there were these things that were in the shape of various animals on springs and you can sit on those and bounce. And so We put her on that, and she bounced and laughed and smiled. There were these things in the shape of little bowls that you can sit in and spin, and she wanted to try that, and so we put her in one of those, and I spun her around, and she smiled and laughed and thought it was great, and then back over to the slide and up the stairs and down the slide, and over and over again, we did that, and then, of course, before we left the playground, we had to go to the swing and swing for a little bit, and Violet had a great time on the playground that's what playgrounds are for. Playgrounds are for having fun. And when things go wrong on a playground, we get frustrated. We get upset when other kids pick on each other, right? And, you know, it's like, that's not what it's supposed to be for. This is for fun. And Violet had a fun time on the playground because that's the way playgrounds work. And I think that's a great analogy for uh, how a lot of Christians, particularly American Christians, approach following Jesus. We want it to be like a playground. We want it to be fun. We want it to be easy, right? We tend to see difficulty and hardship as a contradiction to our faith rather than as just part and parcel of following Jesus. We're the culture of good vibes only, happy thoughts and pleasant feelings, please. That's really where we live, and that's what we expect we we really want our faith in jesus our church experience our following of jesus we want it to be a playground we we almost expect it to be a playground the world life it should be a fun happy place but it's not in fact that's doubly so for the followers of jesus in fact the book of revelation revelation chapter 12 right in the middle of the book, tells an interesting little story. It's an interesting little vision. It's really the nativity story, but it's the nativity story uh, according to the book of Revelation. So it's a little bit different. All the main characters are there. You have a woman who's great with child and is giving birth to a a male son, and this male son is going to be the Messiah. But in this version of the story, there's a red dragon there who represents the devil, the serpent of old, John tells us. And the dragon is trying to eat the male child that this woman is giving birth to and he wants to destroy him. And yet in the protection and the providence of God, the male child is protected and he's caught up to his throne and now he's ruling as God's right hand man. And so uh, the, the dragon was not able to get the male child, the Messiah, Jesus. And this is how Revelation 12 ends. So the dragon was enraged with the woman And went off to make war with the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Do you hear that? That the world that we currently live in is not a playground. It's a place where war is happening. In other words, it's not a playground. It's a battleground. That's the world we live in, according to uh, the apostle John there in Revelation 12 and the whole New Testament that we live not on a playground. We live in a world that's a battleground. And that's one of the reasons, one of the three main reasons that standing firm for Jesus is so incredibly difficult. We have an enemy, a very powerful enemy, who's out to make war on us as followers of Jesus. So how do we respond to that? Well, I think that's where Ephesians chapter 6 comes in. Uh, If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, you're familiar with your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, you know the second half of the chapter is about the armor of God, right? It's the armor of God passage. And this text is really set in this context of living in a world that's a battleground, and it's set into the life situation of standing firm for Jesus. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says there in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, as we're winding down this letter, O Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Like, that's where you find your strength. You find your strength. In the Lord, in Jesus, and in his mighty power, Paul prayed at the very beginning of Ephesians that he wanted us to know the surpassing greatness of his power for us who believe. So we have access to this surpassing great power of Jesus, and that's what's going to help us be strong enough to deal with life in this battleground of a world. He goes on in verse 11 and says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes the devil's crafty evil tricks right the devil has clever strategies for undermining god's people for undermining his church for undermining you as a follower of jesus and we need the godly weapons of the full armor of god to help us take our stand against those schemes he goes on in verse 12 and says for our struggle, he's explaining why we need to take our stand, why we need the full armor of God. And he says, for our struggle. Notice verse 12 begins with "for." That's explaining, right? So for our struggle, our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our fight's not against other people. It's not with other humans. Our fight, we're not fighting against just mere human opponents, Um, Our fight is against powers that are stronger and greater and more powerful than just flesh and blood. Our fight is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. Uh, Just a couple notes on that. All these titles, rulers, authorities... Powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. Those are just various titles, uh, ways of describing spiritual forces, spiritual powers that are at work in this world and are at war against God's people, against followers of Jesus. Uh, Paul says that they, they exist in, they operate in the heavenly places or the heavenly realms, that... Uh, phrase heavenly realms is actually just one word in Greek. And the book of Ephesians is really the only place that that word is used consistently in the New Testament. Um, and it reminds us that there is a unseen side of reality. There is an unseen side of this universe, this world, a spiritual realm. And that spiritual realm not only has uh the the angels of God and God himself and Jesus sitting on the throne, there are also spiritual forces of evil arrayed against God's people at work in that unseen side to reality. And the original audience, the people in Ephesus and the surrounding uh, cities around Ephesus in the first century, they lived with a very clear and deep mindset about that. In fact, Ephesus was a stronghold of ancient magic. And ancient magic wasn't right the card trick kind of magic, the sleight of hand or optical illusion kind of magic. Ancient magic, the way it operated and what its goal was, uh, was to control and manipulate s- such spiritual powers as Paul lists off for your own personal benefit. Uh, And so if you were going into a business deal, well, you... You might say an incantation or wear an amulet that would help give you some sort of leverage over uh, some sort of spiritual being that you believed could affect either a negative or positive outcome for that business deal. And so you wanted that spiritual power, that spiritual force, that spiritual being to be on your side. And so you would go through some sort of ritual, some sort of chant, or say some sort of formula. Or maybe even you wanted some you know guy or gal to pay attention to you, you know, so the right spiritual power over love and relationships. If you knew that sort of uh, demonic being, that sort of spiritual power, then say a formula or a chant or an incantation, wear an amulet for, or to protect you from some sort of being that might be against your family, right? But they lived with a real and powerful and at times oppressive sense of these spiritual powers. They were a very very real conscious reality to their daily life there in Ephesus and the surrounding area. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 19, you'll see that when some of the first believers in Ephesus became Christians, that they had a book burning and they burned over 50,000 pieces of silver worth of incantation books and chant books and formula books, right? They burned those things as a clean break with, no, that's from our past. We used to depend on those things to protect us against spiritual powers, to try to advantage our life in view of the spiritual powers. Now we're pledging our confidence in Jesus and we're going to depend on him to lead our life and to protect us from those things. And so you see that there in Acts 19. But the reality is it doesn't have to look like Ephesian magic. It doesn't have to look like other forms of kind of spiritual power control that we know about in other parts of our world today in order for it to be a real thing. The Spiritual powers that are in league with the devil, his minions that do his bidding to undermine God's good work in this world, they just attack people where they're most vulnerable. And so it doesn't necessarily have to look like that in order for those spiritual forces to be at work in this world to try to undermine our faithfulness to Jesus. Paul's point here is there is a real spiritual realm and there are real spiritual forces that will do Whatever they can do to destroy your faith in Jesus, to distract you from following Jesus, to keep you from being faithful to Jesus. One of the reasons it's so hard for us to be faithful to Jesus is because there there are real evil forces in this world. Now, we don't have to live in fear of those forces, right? Um, We don't have to be preoccupied with those forces. And we certainly shouldn't deny the existence of those forces. Um, they They are real and at work in this world. But Jesus triumphed over them through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is replete through the New Testament that one of the the victories of Jesus and one of the effects of his death and resurrection was not just to pay the price for our forgiveness. It was also to defeat the forces of evil that were destroying God's good world. And so both of those realities are true. uh, Jesus' death and resurrection uh, dealt with the penalty that we deserved for our sin, and it also defeated the forces of evil. You can read about that in Colossians chapter, uh, chapter one and chapter two, if you want to, where Paul talks about Jesus leading these forces of evil in his triumphal profet- uh, procession because he has conquered them, and and someday he's going to completely vanquish them. But in the meantime, we we are now. Servants of and children of a victorious king who has defeated these spiritual forces. So we don't have to deny their existence and we don't have to live in fear of them. But we do have to recognize we have very powerful enemies who are out to get us. And therefore, Paul gives us the strategy here in Ephesians 6 for dealing with that. He says, therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God. That's our strategy. That's what we need to do in order to remain faithful to Jesus in this battleground of a world, we put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, notice the repetition of stand, actually all throughout verses 10 to 13, stand, 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 Like. Uh, Plant your feet and just stand your ground. You don't have to take new ground. The victory's already been won by Jesus. You just have to hold your ground. Not everyone else's ground, just your ground. Be faithful where you live. Be faithful in your sphere. Be faithful in your place and just hold your ground, stand your ground. And you do that, Paul says, by putting on the full armor of God, which was a convenient and ready bit of imagery for the Apostle Paul writing as he is here when he writes Romans, he's uh, under Roman imprisonment, probably the imprisonment described at the end of the book of Acts. Uh, and he is chained on a daily basis to a Roman soldier. So on a regular basis, he has uh, the Roman military presence around him and their armor, therefore, is completely Uh, on his mind on a regular basis. And so it becomes a very ready and convenient imagery for this idea of standing firm by putting on the full armor of God. So what he begins to describe in verse 14 then is really the equipment for this battle. Um, And the key thing isn't so much the piece of armor as it is the, the quality, the trait associated with the piece of armor. So don't get all caught up in Oh, the belt of truth. Well, the the reason truth is a belt is because there may be a little bit of that at at, at points throughout this, and maybe Paul had some of that in mind, but the primary thing is the quality, truth itself, right, or whatever the other quality is. So uh, the qualities, not the associated piece of armor, uh, are our weapons of godliness. So this is what we need in order to stand firm. So what's our equipment? What are our weapons? Well, listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, stand firm then, repeats that idea, to hold your ground, stand firm, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So truth, truth, truth is critical in this battle because the devil has been a liar and a deceiver since the very beginning. One of his uh, most well-used, clever evil little tricks is to deceive, to mix a little bit of truth with a little bit of air and to trick people into uh, really doing what's wrong and going against God. And he often does that, not by an out-and-out lie, sometimes by that, but sometimes by mixing a little bit of truth with a little bit of air, sometimes twisting the truth. You look at Genesis chapter 3, and that's what he did. He tried to just get them to doubt God's goodness. He tried to get them to, you surely won't. Die. Did God really say, he says there in Genesis 3? And he's trying to twist God's words and trying to make uh, Adam and Eve there in Genesis 3 doubt God's goodness. And it works. And they unleash uh, sin and death and destruction on the world through their choice to break faith with their creator. And we've all been complicit in that crime and that problem, right? Uh, so truth is important because the devil is a liar. And so we have to fill our mind with the truth. We have to speak the truth. Paul actually said in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. It's important in the Christian community for us to keep reminding ourselves and each other of the truth because that helps us stand firm against the devil's evil tricks. So the belt of truth around your waist. Next, he mentions the breastplate of righteousness, right? Like that uh, metal breastplate or leather breastplate in the Roman military that was put over uh, their vital organs. He says, well, the breastplate of righteousness, and probably righteousness is best understood in the context of Ephesians as just right living, being a person who is full of integrity and upright, like in your dealings with other people, in your business dealings, in your personal interactions with people, you're just a person who does what's right. You're an upright person full of integrity. You, You do what's right. So Put that on, and that'll help you stand firm in this uh, battle uh, for our faithfulness to Jesus. Next, in verse 15, he mentions that your feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Uh, And Paul has described in the first three chapters what the gospel is. In fact, chapter 2 just read chapter 2 and read it over and over again read it out loud maybe memorize uh, you know huge chunks of Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul describes the gospel and how uh, we've been made alive by the grace of God because He loved us with His great love. It's not something we did for ourselves, but He did it for us because of the great love with which He loved us, and because of His grace. And so, it's by grace we've been saved. Right? That's the gospel. Uh, keep reading in Ephesians chapter two, and you hear how the gospel brought peace between God and people, and between people and people. That the 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 gospel is something that brings peace between. Uh, In our relationship with God and our relationships with others. And so the wall of hostility has been torn down according to Ephesians 2. So read Ephesians 2 and learn it, meditate on it, imagine it, soak it in. Uh, Imagine what it looks like to be uh, saved by grace and to be living in a gracious, favorable, uh, peace filled relationship with God and with God's people. And that's the gospel of peace. Preach it to yourself, share it with each other, remind each other of it, share the gospel when you can. So that the gospel becomes part and parcel of your thinking and, and you're rooted in it, like your feet are planted in it, right? Like you're wearing the shoes of the gospel. He goes on in verse 16 and he talks about uh, the shield of faith. In addition to this, he says, take up the shield of faith, that large shield that was in front of the Roman soldier, right? Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So, extending the imagery, he says, the evil one, the devil, and his his minions, they want to destroy you, and they're gonna they're gonna shoot flaming arrows at you of temptation, of doubt, of fear, right, of discouragement, of despair, right. They're gonna throw throw all these things at you. Well, it's the shield of faith, uh, your faith in God, your confidence in His promises your confidence that God will do what he said he'd do, your confidence in God's description of you as his child, his son, or his daughter, right? Faith essentially is confidence in God. And as followers of Jesus, we don't so much have self-confidence as we have God confidence. And that's what faith is. And so we need to know what God has said, know what he's promised, and we need to put our confidence in, in God and be loyal to him because of that, right? That's how we're faithful. We We're loyal to him because we have confidence in what God has said, what God has promised, what God has said about us, what God has said he will do. And so we take up the shield of faith. Paul goes on in verse 17 and says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation has to do with our hope. He says elsewhere, Paul in Thessalonian letters, he refers to the helmet as the hope of salvation. That clarifies what he means here. It's our forward focus, our hope isn't in everything turning out all right in this world. Our hope is in the world to come. Our hope isn't in the kingdom of man. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. And our Savior is heaven's king, not anyone in this world. And so we remind ourselves of this. We remind ourselves of the future that God is preparing for us. And we're looking forward with expectation and anticipation for that day, the helmet of salvation. And then he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, um, which really is the only offensive weapon mentioned here. The sword is an offensive weapon, but it's God's word. It's the message from God, Um, the message of the gospel, the message of us being saved by the gospel, the message uh, about uh, really everything that God has done for us in Jesus. That's what we live on. And so when the devil comes to us with various attacks, various doubts, right, various temptations, we respond with the Word of God to that and we find our well-being in God's Word. That's why it's so important we know the scripture. Uh, that's really the heart behind this podcast is I, I want myself and I want you, I want all of us to be more firmly rooted in the Word of God to know it uh, and love it so that we can live it out. And so uh, we become people who are rooted in the Word of God. and so, How do we stand firm for Jesus? How do we be faithful for for Jesus? Well, we do it by arming ourselves with these godly traits. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, hope of salvation, and God's word. We arm ourselves with those traits. Those become defining qualities in our life. We can't be half-hearted. We can't be cavalier, right? We can't think that we can live life the same way as everyone else does and hope we'll survive the enemy's attacks. And oftentimes that's what happens. So often what we're trying to do is to remain, you know, ourselves and live our life and keep our personal happiness and pleasure and comfort as our great aim in life. And then at the same time, try or at least say we want to be faithful to Jesus And we just can't do that. We just can't go about life as usual because this world is a battleground. And so oftentimes what we're trying to do is just let our mind and heart go their own way. And we're sometimes so offered, centered on the same things as everybody else, money, pleasure, ambition, right, achievement, accomplishment, success, and hoping that in spite of being focused and living life the same way as everyone else, that we can be faithful to Jesus. And it just isn't going to work. We can't go about life as usual and expect to be faithful. Our enemy is too clever and cunning for that, and this world is too dangerous for that. We have to take our faithfulness to Jesus as seriously as war. That's really the point. We have to take our faithfulness to Jesus as seriously as war. And how do we fight this war? Well, we, we don't fight with the world's weapons. We fight with the weapons of godliness. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, hope of salvation, and the word of God. That's what's going to help us be faithful to Jesus in the midst of this battleground of a world. A number of years ago, I had a friend whose name was Joseph, and Joseph had become a, a Christian during his college years in China, in a underground house church in China. And so his initial Christian experiences were there in a house church in China and the pastor of that house church had actually spent if i recall correctly around 15 years in a couple different occasions 15 years in prison for preaching the gospel so this was this was his initial christian experience uh, church wasn't you know a comfortable sort of thing you kind of went to church knowing that it was a huge risk and that the communist uh, leadership might uh, kind of you know, barge into your church at any moment and the pastor or others could actually be hauled off to jail or arrested. It was a dangerous situation. Not only that, they met in the house and there wasn't enough seating for everybody. So seating was reserved for the sick or the elderly. And so most people stood for the entire service. It was cramped, hot, crowded, and not necessarily a comfortable, pleasant experience. And there was great risk involved. So here uh, now Joseph has moved to the States Uh, We've become friends, and we go fishing, and before we fish, we pray, and then we have a little conversation about just walking with Jesus. And this is what Joseph says to me. He says, "It's catch this, it's so much harder to be a Christian here in America than it was in China. Did you hear that? That is not what I ex- would have expected him to say. It's so much harder to be a Christian here in America than it was in China. And so I pressed him. Like, well, help me understand. What are you talking about? Because that's just not what I would have expected you to say. And here's what he said. He said, well, here's what I mean. Is Here in America, you just have so much stuff. And it distracts you from following Jesus. Here in America, in other words, we're We're not always aware that this world is a battleground. We're not always aware that this is war, and that the the spiritual forces of wickedness are out to get us. Uh, and so, we kind of expect it to be a playground. We expect it to be easy. We expect it to be comfortable. We're distracted by uh, our smartphones and Netflix and Hulu and social media and the mall and everything else. And when things don't go the way we want, we get frustrated and angry and upset because our even though intellectually we may know it's going to be hard, our mindset here in America is, oh, but we want life to be easy. And shouldn't following Jesus be easy? And the answer is no, no, it shouldn't, because The devil and his minions are at war with the followers of Jesus. And we have to take our faithfulness to Jesus as seriously as war. And we have to arm ourselves with truth. We have to fill our heart, our mind with the truth. We have to uh, understand what God says is right and begin to put it into practice in our life. We have to know the gospel and preach the gospel to ourselves and share it with each other, remind each other of the gospel. We have to uh, put our confidence in God and in God's truth and promises and words. We have to remember that uh, there's a new day coming and God will make all things new. And someday, someday the battle will be over and all that is wrong with this world will be made right. We have to fill our mind, our heart, our soul with the word of God. We have to arm ourselves with the weapons of godliness if we're going to be faithful to Jesus in this battlefield of a world. All right, I hope that gives you some perspective. And maybe, even though it's not a comfortable message or even an easy message, it's an important message. And so maybe it actually inspires you and challenges you to take your faith and faithfulness of Jesus more seriously. I know it has for me as I've been meditating on this text and thinking this through and processing really this teaching through. Man, it's just helped me to say, I want to take my faith in Jesus more seriously. And I I want to be more diligent in pursuing him and putting on truth righteous in all the things listed off in this text. So I hope it does the same thing for you. Hey, and also I want to say a thank you to all of you who make this ministry possible through your generous donations. Thanks a ton for your support. I appreciate each and every one of you. And so thanks a ton for that. God bless you guys. I hope you have a good week in Jesus. I hope you set your gaze on the world to come and the Savior we have in heaven this week. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again next week.